Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to number 20 in our series on the sciences of the Quran. Let's start off uh, with a bit of Quran. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Alhamdulillahi fatiris samawati wal ardi ja'ilil malaikati rusulan uli ajnihatim mathna wa thulatha wa ruba' yazidu fil khalqi ma yasha' inna allaha ala kulli shay'in qadir ma yaftahillahu linnasi min rahmatin fala mumsika laha وَمَا يُمْسِكْ فَلَا مُرْسِلَ لَهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ صدق الله العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد الحمد لله yesterday we started the discussion of the preservation of the Quran and the various different measures that were taken for that and um, just to recap, it was both uh, by through memorization and it was an oral tradition at that time with a lot of people memorizing. And so we had numerous hufad and then there were measures taken to preserve the, the hufad and the, those who had memorized the Quran. They were very important people in the Muslim community and they were called the Qurra or the Qaris. The second uh, way that the Quran has been uh, preserved, uh, which is very important, is uh, through writing. So as we discussed, uh, as soon as the Prophet ﷺ would receive a revelation, he had a group uh, of uh, writers, scribes, and he would invite them over and then they would write it. And then um, these, th- these bits uh, were written on various different parchments and uh, leaves and, and other things. So now what happens is that we read yesterday regarding Umar radiallahu anhu coming and insisting to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu that the Quran should now be taken from all of these different places, all of these different writers. They had the different fragments and, and pieces, different parts of surahs and everything, and then they should be put together in one place because if these Qadis would be killed, if the, those who had memorized, I mean, 70 were killed in one place. And then there were some others that were killed. So, and generally the Qurra would also be at the forefront in the battles as well. So they decided that we will um, put it all together. So Zayd ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu, who was one of a very talented younger scholar of the Quran, who had also been part of the writers of the Wahi. So he was he was asked to uh, to do this, uh, to lead the team rather. And then there was a community that was formed. So now we have another hadith. We move on to that with that discussion. And then we move on from uh, Imam Bukhari. He's got a transmission from Ibn Shihab. He says that Kharija ibn Zayd ibn Thabit has related to me that he heard Zayd ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu saying that while he was in the process of this and it was, took a, a, a few months to uh, several months to actually do this compilation process. He said, I was missing a verse from Surah Al-Ahzab when you know, we were we were writing the master when we were copying the master copy that initial gathering. There was one verse that we just couldn't find with anybody. We knew it's a verse, obviously, because people had memorized it, and they may have had none official copies around. But we were looking for the official copy for that. Um, so I used to hear the Prophet ﷺ reciting it. So I went and searched for it and searched for it. Eventually, we found it with Khuzayma ibn Thabit al Ansari radiallahu anhu, and that was the verse: "Min al Mu'minin rijalun sadaqu ma'ahadu Allah alayhi." So then we added it. 
to the Mus'haf. Now, it's transmitted through a number of different uh, chains that Zayd radiallahu anhu and Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, they both were very persistent about this job. And Umar radiallahu anhu says that he, he's the one who came and gave the initial idea uh, and recommendation for this to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. He, took a big, he played a big role in this as well and he was really, really uh, behind this whole project as well. And it says in there very clearly, uh, it's related uh, from the two, وَكَانَ لَا يَقْبَلُ مِنْ أَحَدٍ شَيْئًا حَتَّى يَشْهَدَ شَاهِدًا or شَهِيدًا rather. They, were, they would not accept any written piece from anyone until they could provide the two witnesses. Now this could be um, uh, understood in two different ways. What exactly were they witnessing to? So that it could be that this is a witness to the fact that this particular piece was written in front of the Prophet ﷺ. Because the Prophet ﷺ didn't necessarily do this in private. He'd probably call them into the masjid and say, okay, write this down. And there were probably other people there as well. So that's uh, one way of understanding this. And this is the way Abu Shama al-Maqdisi and Ilmuddin al-Sakhawi have uh, explained this. And that's why uh, he, he said about this last verse of Surah At-Tawbah that we just spoke about, that I could not find it with anybody. Meaning, I could not find it according uh, to the criteria uh, through which we were judging this. So they had it written in different places, but I could not find it with the criteria that I wanted. And finally, it was found uh, with Khuzayma um, radiallahu anhu. So now, this is the way that you understand, a painstaking way to make sure that it, the master copy that they were going to preserve is going to be... Um, you know, really, really accurate and no doubts in it and corroborated in different ways, even though they could have just written it from memory, right, and corroborated that. But no, they made sure that they also got the written piece as well. This took nearly a year, right? This took about a year, nearly a year to about a year. And this took place uh, because you know that this took place after the Battle of Yamama, right, where those Qurra were killed, right? And this took place between that time and before the Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu passed away. So that was just around a year, right? That's how you work this out. And this, uh, th this, uh, this particular copy that they had produced, this master copy, uh, copy, this autograph copy, you could call it, it was kept by the Khalifa Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, and it was called the Imam copy, all right? And so now no longer was it that you had to rely on fragments or just on the memory of different people. Now, finally, it had all been put into one place. That's a very important uh, point. Now the way we see uh, a sum up of this that's been written by Abu Abdullah al-Hadith ibn Asad al-Muhasibi, great scholar of the past. Uh, he says in his book called Fahmus Sunan, right, uh, understanding and comprehension of the, the Sunnas, he says, Kitabatul Qur'ani laysad muhdatha. You know, this particular event where Abu Bakr had it gathered together and written together in one place, this was not necessarily a new innovation for them. Yes, putting it together like that was, an, it was probably the innovation, but writing it not. Because the Prophet used to tell people to write it. Um, but the problem is that it was all disparate on different pieces of leather and uh, pieces of leaf and, and other things. So Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, all he did was he just told it to put it together and gather it all from the different places and put it in one place. And he said that was similar to some pages and some folios that were actually found in the house of the Prophet The Quran was just scattered in different places in there. The parchments were not all put together. What he did was that he had somebody 
came and compiled all of them together and then they actually had it uh, also bound with a rope as well so that none of it could be could be lost i mean that was the way rudimentary way that they would do it in those days and that's exactly what they did now this collection of Uthman uh, of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu and this was something that was appreciated by all the ummah afterwards and it became an ijma that this is exactly what he did and what he did was correct and after that they've actually written quite a bit and they've praised Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu uh, for this and see this as one of his major achievements during his time that he has got the master copy together and they've they've really really praised him for that they've called him the first of the compilers of the Quran. He's the awwalu jami'in lil Quran. Awwalu jami'il Quran, the first of the compilers of the Quran. He has that title, right? Because of the diligence with which it was done and his committee that he had formed. To such a degree, I mean, I think we just have to look at what Ali radiallahu anhu, Ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu says about him. He says that a'zamun nasi fil masahifi ajran Abu Bakr. The person with the greatest reward regarding the preservation of the Mus'haf, regarding the work on the Mus'haf is Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu, may Allah have mercy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had mercy on Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu because he's the first person to compile the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala together, right? Now, um, fast forward now, that was fine during the time of Umar radiallahu anhu. Nothing more happened to it. It was kept there in the house of Umar radiallahu anhu. But now comes uh, Umar radiallahu anhu passes away and uh, Uthman radiallahu anhu becomes the next Khalif and he sends there's a force that goes to Azerbaijan Armenia uh, to deal uh, with those areas for for jihad and there's a number of people in the army from the different tribes now this is you could say I mean generally in Makkah, Mukarram, Medina, Munawar etc the people would stay in their own tribes so there would be interaction but there would not be maybe that close of an interaction whereas now when you've got a contingent made up of different uh, people from different tribes Muslims from different tribes right now remember each of these could read in their different dialects and uh, Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu anhu he's with there with that army and he brings back a report and he says that, look, there's problems because these people have, they've started arguing with one another because each tribe thinks they don't know that it could be read in another way of a different tribe. So they think they're reading wrong. Those people think these guys are reading wrong. We've had that discussion before. I've explained that already. So he says, I have a fear. Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, adrik ummah kitab ikhtilaf al-Yahudi nasara He says, um, you can say, save this ummah, I would say, you know, symbolically, that's what he said. He says, save this ummah, right? Catch this ummah before they differ with regards to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just the way the Yahud and Nasara have differed in the past. And then after that, you know, things, uh, there were discrepancies that were created. So he said to Uthman radiallahu anhu that. So now Uthman radiallahu anhu, the, uh, cut the long story short, he agreed that yes, this needs to happen. And they, what he did was he sent to the house of Hafsa radiallahu anha, uh, uh, to request her to send that master copy, which after Umar had passed away, uh, it, it was left with Hafsa. So send it to us so that we can actually make copies from this. So Uthman anhu was sent the copies by Hafsa. And again, Uthman anhu took the same person, Zayd ibn Thabit anhu, uh, to head this committee, along with Abdullah ibn Zubayr anhu. Right? And Sa'id ibn al-As and Abdurrahman ibn al-Harith. So these four people, uh, Abdullah, uh, Abdurrahman ibn al-Harith ibn Hisham, they were told to come together and to make copies of this Qur'an. So that's what they did. They made several copies of this. 
Now, Uthman radiallahu anhu said to the three of them, uh, who were a Qurashi, I think, yeah, they were Qurashi, that if you differ with regards to how it needs to be written in terms of which dialect, you know, if you can't agree where there's an issue where there's a different dialect that reads it otherwise, then you need to... Um, if, you if you differ with Zayd ibn Thabit anhu in any way, then you need to, the, the trump will be uh, in the lisan of the Quraysh, which means that you will have to go according to the, uh, to the dialect of the Quraysh, because it was primarily, originally and primarily revealed in the Qurashi dialect. So that's exactly what they do. Once he copied the Qur'an from the master copy that, Uthman that uh, Hafsa anha had, he sent that copy back to her that, okay, you preserve that. And what he then did in general, which I'm going to explain in a bit more detail, is that he then, the several copies that he made, he then sent them to the main areas of the Muslim world. And then, to cut a long story short again, he said all the other versions that people had written in their own dialects and so on, had to be cut. So, for example, had to had to be disposed of. So either they would be disposed of by um, tearing it up, uh, disposing that, that like that, maybe buried or burnt. And uh, we also have some reports where most uh, most likely some of them, uh, what they did was they compared with the master copy that Uthman radiallahu anhu had sent, and they probably just amended this. Right? So they didn't have to throw them away. They didn't have to get rid of them. They just amended their copies because they, it looks like some people would just, would just, uh, could just do that. So this tells us uh, the, the, the thing to point out here, right? which is quite clear now, I think. Um, the, the main difference between what Uthman anhu did and what Abu Bakr Siddiq anhu did was uh, essentially that Abu Bakr just had it all gathered together in one place. Uh, with, with a lot of scrutiny to make sure that it's exactly what uh, was uh, written in the time of the Prophet ﷺ that was matched up with what was recited and what was memorized by people and eventually that was put together. It corroborated what they had memorized anyway. And then Uthman, what he did was he just had it written in a very special way. Now there is another opinion here through some other transmissions and reports that we have which shows that Uthman did something very similar to Abu again just as a second uh, just as a second corroboration so what he did was he had it gathered again uh, because by now you know Abu Bakr anhu's time there were uh, you know uh, now more people had come in to Medina Munawwara and so on and so forth so he again had this and he made a public announcement about this whatever you have bring it together and they got it all together had it written that was then corroborated with the one with uh, that Abu Bakr anhu had compiled together that was in the house of Hafsa anha and they found it to be exactly the same so that was a second corroboration as well but the other view is that no he did not do that at all he just had it all written into several uh, copies and then sent to the Muslim world and all the other additions the small parchments that people had the different fragments lying in different places he had all of those uh, he rec he recommended he said that I have um, got those to be disposed of. You need to dispose of yours now, and that is probably what uh, that that is what everybody agreed to finally do. There were some holdouts. For example, Abdullah ibn Masud who was known to actually teach in his Hudayli direct. He's from the Hudayl, the Banu Hudayl. So that's why he was actually known to teach in the Hudayli direct. But then after that, he was prohibited from doing that. Right? And eventually he agreed as well, and he also disposed of his copy. 
right, of his copy in the Husayli direct, he, he removed that as well. So there was a lot of public participation in this and uh, whatever, he, whatever was eventually done was all done using just the primary, the first-hand material. Now, if you study um, manuscript uh, research and, you know, tracing back and accuracy of uh, determining what the author said through the various different copies that are uh, available and so on, um, what they did in those days without that kind of a scientific background, without that kind of an academic, uh, you know, study or whatever, they did a, a very, very accurate, a very, very solid job. And again, that's something that you can look at uh, in, in this book, you know, that he describes that quite well. You know, I've, uh, I've consulted this book about this as well, and he describes all of that, you know, from a modern perspective as well. He's explained uh, all of those things as well in there. So... The reasoning for why Uthman anhu did what he did, which I already explained to you, uh, Imam Abu Bakr al-Baqillani rahimahullah, he says that Uthman anhu, he decided to compile the Qur'an together according, the one thing that he added, this tells you what he did in his edition, right, which was uh, something that was um, something that was really interesting. He said he what he did was that he managed to combine everybody and collect everybody and to get them to agree to write the Qur'an according to the Qurashi dialect so that there would be no longer any differences of opinion out there, okay? And uh, as was established from the Prophet ﷺ, and to essentially dispose of all the others and to cancel out all the other written forms, right? So, for example... Um, the, uh, any others where the wording would have been changed, uh, allowed to be changed uh, uh, in terms of the order of the, the words or all the other things, just so that he foresaw that this would be a problem and that's what he did. Now some people may ask a question here is that why didn't the Prophet just allow it in one way? You know, why didn't he preempt this? Uh, this is actually a question that I did receive from someone. Why didn't he preempt this? Why didn't he have it just in one way, make it very solid and have no difference of opinion? See, the first thing is that this was done for facilitation at the beginning. It was very difficult to get everybody, force them to start speaking another language, another dialect, right? It was very difficult. But the new generation, you could tell them to do that. So based on the various different opinions, that's exactly what eventually happened, right? Now, today there's no confusion about it. I know the Orientalists try to go and hark back to that and try to cause problems with that, but there's a lot of other things you know, in every religion that you just can't help. I mean, why didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I mean, I, I would probably also say that why didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just make everybody Muslim, right? Why didn't he just reveal the Quran all at once, 23 years, instead of 23 years, just at once, you know? There's wisdoms for all of those things. Now, sometimes, you know, there's a fitna that's created by that, a potential fitna that's created by that. But that's the way of this world. This world is never straightforward, right? It's just we have to find the truth and we have to make sure we abide by the truth. So I, I would say that's the short answer to that, right? That's the short answer to that question if it, if it comes up, uh, you know, to anybody. So now to move on, we also find that, you know, while only those four Sahaba were mentioned at the beginning, Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu anhu and uh, Zayd ibn Thabit and their two friends, we actually find that uh, Imam Abu Dawud has actually transmitted from at least four different chains from Muhammad ibn Sirin, the great Tabi'i, that Jama'a Uthman Ithnay Ashara Rajulan. 
So those four were the head of the committee, but there were more people involved in this. I mean, this job could not have been done by just four people. Uh, it says, according to this report of Muhammad ibn Sirin, Uthman had 12 people of the Quraysh and Ansar, among which Ubay ibn Ka'b was there as well. So this com- commu- committee was actually broader than that, and the four people were probably the main ones. In fact, we have more than that. We can also find names of more than 12 people, such that uh, those people who have actually researched this well, uh, they find uh, that, yeah, there's about 12 people actually, and the four people were... Yeah, the four people were at the head of it and the others were were assisting them as well. What exactly, how, what did they, what was the criteria that was used to write this new, uh, this fresh edition, this master edition, this, you can say, source edition of the text and the copies that were made? So there were a few criteria that were used. Number one, uh, it had to be according to the Qurayshi dialect. That's why in a hadith it says that Uthman anhu said to these three, which I've already explained to you, that if you differ about any of the dialects or anything, then you need to write it according to the Qurayshi dialect because that's the dialect in which it was revealed. Now, the other thing here is that the, the, while they wanted all the other written pieces to have been cancelled out, this particular action does not demonstrate that it was to destroy those other reading and variants forever. Because remember, we mentioned before that according to one very strong view, they were allowed to continue to read it in their own way if they wanted to. But you just didn't want to now teach anybody that way necessarily. And you did not want to write it that way. So there was only one written copy and that would be the master copy that anybody had an issue with. They would be able to figure it out from that. So... And this is uh, this is this is becomes very clear to us from the way the Quran is written today. You know the example I gave you the other day, and I showed you, and hopefully you check this out. That the way Maliki Yomidin is written is actually written as Maliki Yomidin, Mim Lam Kaf, without the vowel. If you didn't have the vowel, you could you would actually read that as Maliki Yomidin. So that is what they call the Tahqiqi reading, right? So the Qurayshi dialect they would include that as the Tahqiqi reading. However, to allow any other of the permitted uh, ways and modes of reading, you could change that by just adding some vowels so that the, the, the written form still accommodates that. Because remember, Uthman writing was written without any dots, uh, without any, any dots. So you, we could not even tell the difference between ba, ta, and tha. They could. We could not tell the difference between jim, ha, and kha, but they could. They, that is how they wrote in those days. All of these dots came in later, and uh, this was facilitated later because people couldn't no longer read like that. So that's why Maliki could be used, uh, could be read in the same way. Likewise, the word Kitab, the word Kitab in many Mus'afs is written as just Kaf, Ta, Ba. So that you could read Kutub, the plural of Kitab is Kutub. Whereas if you wanted to read Kitab, you could. You just put a Kasra underneath the Kaf and you put a standing uh, Fatha on top of the Ta. So that becomes Kitab using the same Kaf Ta Ba. So it allows for the various readings. That's why if you're ever surprised by why a certain word is written in a particular way in the Quran, now you'll understand what that is. So when you read Maliki Yawmiddin, that would be what they call the Tahqiq reading. And when you read Maliki Yawmiddin, that would be the Taqdiri reading, right? That would be the additional allowed form of reading, accommodated form of reading, you can call it. Now, that doesn't mean that they would just allow any reading, of course. It's only those that were transmitted that were all allowed to be incorporated in here.
Now, the other thing is that if there were, uh, if one of the variants was difficult to accommodate, for example, wa biha can be read as wa biha means the same thing. Wasa and awsa means very similar things, right? Now, how are you going to add an alif there? So in that case, sometimes they would actually, in some mushafs, they would actually write that separately later on because that was an allowed reading through the awsa and the wasa. Number three, uh, number three, the third point about this was, and which continued as a trend much later as well, right, is tajridul mushaf, which means that don't add anything else. The, the book should have only Quran, nothing else. Now, slowly, slowly, of course, that changed. They started adding the dots. They started adding the vowels. They started adding um, surah, uh, you know, names and titles and, uh, you know, elegant, uh, you know, motifs and, uh, and then basically page numbers and all of that kind of stuff. And then recently you've had them with color coding tajweed rules, which I really don't like. Right. So um, initially it was that none of that was allowed because it had to be codified in this particular way so that no confusion would come about with anything else. They were very, Uthman was very, very diligent about this. So now when he had these copies ready, right, he, after this huge momentous task took place, they now, when exactly did this happen? This happened, we would say that this took place around 25 years after the Hijrah, after the Prophet The reason is, how we know it's 25 years is because that is around the time when the Muslims fought in Armenia and in those areas. So anyway, Uthman radiallahu after having these new editions written and composed, he returned the original edition to Ummul Mu'mineen Hafsa radiallahu anha and he sent a copy to each of the major towns, major cities of the Muslim world. And then he kept one for himself. That is the one that he was uh, martyred reading. When he was reading it, that's the one he was martyred and some blood has fallen onto that. They say that's the one that's in the Turkish museum. Allah knows best. I'm not sure right, about whether that is the one that's there or not. But he had the one that he kept by himself and that was called Mus'haful Imam. The Mus'haf of the Imam or the main primary Mus'haf. Now there's a difference of opinion as to how many copies he made and how many cities he sent it to. Uh, the, the well-known opinion is that he made five copies. That's what Imam Suyuti rahimahullah has said. However, if we're to add his own personal copy to that, that would be six copies. There's other views that it was seven copies plus eight plus one, so that's eight copies. And Allah knows best, but it was definitely more than four or five copies. And he didn't just send a copy of the Quran, the Mus'haf, this new edition, right? This new uh, uh, compo composition of it. But what he did was he actually sent a Qari with it as well. That's very, very important. So in all of these new areas, this Qari would go as well to confirm any Qira'ah and so on. And then what people would do is that their own copies, they would write of this one. So there's numerous reports that when this copy came to Kufa or Basra or the other towns and cities, um, they would take their copies and they would match it and close it. And then if they had to make a change, they would make a change. Right. So that, that's what it became. It became the source copy in all of these areas, the different cities. So. MashaAllah, the people of Medina Munawara, they got Zayd ibn Thabit radiallahu He became the mukri of uh, the copy uh, of the Mus'haf in Medina Munawara. Uh, the one in Makkah uh, Mukarram was Abdullah ibn Sa'ib. He became the mukri 
in, uh, in Makkah Mukarramah, Mughira ibn Shihab, he was for Sham, which is Syria, the Levant. Abu Abdurrahman al-Sulami was sent to Kufa. And Amir ibn Abdul Qais uh, was sent to Basra. So we know that these cities definitely had, then there's a discussion about whether he, the one was sent to Bahrain and these other areas, which is the, western, uh, the eastern border of, of Arabia. Then after that, once all of this work was done, right, uh, in more detail, one, once, this, uh, uh, once these were sent to the different areas with the different qadis and so on, now Uthman anhu gave an edict that all the other variants uh, need to be now uh, disposed of. So mashallah, all the Sahaba, they agreed and they responded, so they got rid of their copies. Uh, Ubay ibn Ka'ab Abdullah ibn Masood and they, and they actually eventually praised what he was doing because they could see that that was the prudent approach for the future so that you know there's no problems that are left. Abdullah ibn Masood said he did was reluctant in the beginning but then after that he was completely fine with it. He understood for the important uh, uh, importance of this and this has been established through many many chains that there was nearly an there was probably an ijma on this which means a consensus that this Uthman had done absolutely correctly and gotten rid of all of these other parchments. And what proves the ijma is that today you don't have any variants, right? You don't, meaning you don't have any that are not allowed variants of the seven, uh, ten qiraat. Uh, there's no mushaf with any change in there. Pretty much it's all according to the mushaf of Uthman And in this book, they've given quite a few, um, uh, quite a few different types and copies. Right, which you can see from different places, they've been that uh, they've been judged, uh, they've been uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, investigated and compared with one another, and essentially that that's what it is. I mean, there's numerous versions you can find in different versions. These are not of those original copies necessarily. These are of later copies that were written, right, in the old in the old style. I don't know if you can see this, right, with no dots, nothing, right, just very simple writing. You can see it's just like a Kufic calligraphy, they call that, right? So um, there's no differences between them. There's no differences between them. This one is a later copy. Now you can see in here, I think this is Ibn Bawab's copy. This is, you can now see in here that, uh, okay, yeah, it's a uh, shiny pages, so I guess it's difficult. But yeah, in this one, it's actually, this is the famous Mus'haf of Ibn Bawab, dated 391, inside the large golden circular device, yeah, um, this one has the fathas and the dots and everything, and this is much more developed, but this is now a few hundred years later. Sorry, we can put a picture up of this later on when you need to. So that gives you an idea that this became pretty much a consensus that this is how it had to be written. And this was not just among the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, the Sunnis. The Shi'as, the Mu'tazila, everybody agreed to this, that this is the Quran. There was no disagreement about this. So that's why it'd be absurd for any Orientalist or any, anybody else for that matter to go back and say that there were, uh, there were these critical differences and so on. Yes, there were different variant readings, but they are complementary and they're available today. You can find them in the books written on this subject. You can find them in the different mushafs that you'll see in the different countries that represent the different qiraat. And that's not a problem. But this was an agreement according to all the firaq al-Islamiyah, all the, even the heretic groups of the Muslims, you know, that um, are Muslim. Right, that are still Muslim. That's why now people have really, really praised Uthman anhu's work and um, they've given him the title of the Jami'ul Quran. So, you know, we gave that title to Abu Bakr Siddiq earlier. Well, he also has the title of Jami'ul Quran. Now, when you say Jami'ul Quran in this case, 
right? The compiler of the Quran. Well, what it means in this case, because he, according to that first opinion, he didn't actually bring it all together. That was already done by Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anh. According to the other opinion that he actually did this a second time around for additional corroboration, then that gives him the justification in that sense of being a compiler of the Quran already. Okay. However, the other way in which he is the compiler of the Quran, he still deserves this title, right? Is because he had it written in a way that accommodated all the variant readings. And everybody agreed to that. And it was such a job that, you know, he made sure that this was done in public and uh, people had, um, he would grill people about this. He would investigate what they were saying to make sure that it was absolutely correct what they were saying. And it was these additions. I mean, there's a lot more detail here that you can read in these books about this. But the idea is that when he had this, uh, when he had the final copy produced, it was then read out to the main Sahaba and the main public. And um, so they went through quite a few proofreadings, right? I mean, this is just uh, normal how you do this. It wasn't done in any kind of haphazard way. They had to be very careful. So after it was proofread and everything, then after that, it was actually sent out. That's why it's mentioned that when Uthman anhu had the divine enablement to undertake this, the tawfiq to uh, take this, because of that, so much of the difference of opinion, mashallah, was uprooted. That's why he plays a major role in this. He managed to unite everybody together and he managed to, you can, you can, you can say, give a lot of comfort uh, to the ummah that no longer they had to differ with regarding the various readings. And eventually the other readings just, just probably died out. That's why let's take Ali radiallahu anhu. He defends Uthman radiallahu anhu. Because remember, towards the end of Uthman radiallahu anhu's time, there were some detractors of his. Right, people who were causing fitna, causing problems, and eventually, you know, he he was martyred not for this reason, obviously, but but for you know for other reasons, uh, what they did. But part of that, Ali radiallahu anhu defended him, and he said, "Ya ma'shar nas O people, ittaqullah, be fearful of Allah. Wa iyyakum wal fi Uthman. You need to be careful regarding your exaggeration and your extremism regarding Uthman radiallahu anhu. Wa qawlukum hurraq, hurraqul masahif or harraqul masahif. And you're calling him the one who uh, burnt all the Qurans because that's what some of them would say to him that he burnt all the other Qurans. Right? Fawallahi ma fa'ala alladhi fa'ala fil masahif illa an mala'im minna. Because by Allah he did not do what he did except by according to a group decision of all of us. Right, so this was agreed upon by the, the by all the Sahaba there, and Ali radiallahu. By that time, obviously they had other people as well. They weren't just Sahaba. The Sahaba didn't have a problem with this. Ali radiallahu and also says that Lawulitu, if I was made in charge of what Uthman radiallahu anhu was made in charge for at the time, la amil to bil amila, I would have done the same thing with these masahif that he did. It was the right thing to do. That was the only way to unite everybody together. Now, you're always going to get differences of opinion, right? You're always going to get somebody who has room for criticism. You know, sometimes we've done a lecture online and it's like straightforward. There's no controversy about it. It's just straightforward lecture. And, you know, we've got all of these uh, different likes on it, like in hundreds of likes. There's going to be one or two dislikes. You know, I think, I don't know if there's any lecture that anybody would do that doesn't have a dislike. Even if the 99.9% like it, there's going to be somebody, some guy out there who's going to come up with something. It's just people. That's human beings, right? Now, of course, we can't make decisions based on that. That, oh, somebody might do it, then you'd never do any work. So that, that's the way I would take this. 
the the ummah has really really accepted this and it's gone down like this and <coughs> now i i just showed you earlier the different fragment pieces in the different libraries in the world that are exactly like this they've investigated it and that is exactly how they preserved it to such a degree that people say now that you should not write you cannot write the mushaf in any way that differs to Uthman radiallahu anhu because that includes everything. Now, where are these seven, six, seven, eight copies? Where are they? Well, I've had the opportunity to, alhamdulillah, the good fortune to actually see two of them, which purport to be that Allah knows best. I don't know if there's absolute certainty. I don't know. I've not looked into his absolute certainty whether that is there or not. And uh, maybe by tomorrow I'll try to find out a bit more detail about this. But I've seen the one in Tashkent, right? And if you do a search online, the Tashkent Quran, you'll be able to find that. And the other one is in the Topkabi Palace of Turkey. I've seen that as well. So I've seen the two that were in existence. Now, there was one certified copy, right, which was destroyed about just over 100 years ago. Right, there was a certified copy. And we hear this from Ibn Kathir, Imam Ibn Kathir, the great Mufassir who died in 774. So he's talking about his time, right, several hundred years ago. He talks about the Shami version. Remember, one of these copies was sent to Sham, right, to Damascus. So he says that Amma Amma al Masahif al Uthmani al A'imma. As far as the, those source Mushafs from Uthman radiallahu anhu, for Ashharuha al Yawm, he says the most well known. So it, it looks like, you see, Kufa went through many problems and Basra went through issues and so on. So it and Baghdad was just a later city. Baghdad did not, uh, you know, Baghdad uh, was established. Actually, no, Baghdad was established much later, right? So Baghdad did not even exist in the time of Umar radiallahu an, Uthman radiallahu an. So his Kufa and Basra were the main cities of Iraq. So he says the most well known of them today is the one in Sham, which is in the Damascus Mosque in the Jami of Damascus, the Jami al Umawi. It's by the Rukn, and it's. Right? It's to the east of the, the, uh, the, the, the niche in the wall. Right? I think that's what he refers to. And he says that this same copy was actually in another part of Sham in the Tiberius. Uh, it was in Tabariya, he says. Then after that, it was transferred to Sham around 500, uh, uh, to Damascus actually, in 518 Hijri. So about 250 years before him. It was transferred to Damascus. And he says, I have seen it. It's قَدْ رَأَيْتُهُ كِتَابًا عَزِيزًا جَلِيلًا عَظِيمًا دَخْمًا بِخَطٍ حَسَنٍ مُبِينٍ قَوِيٍ بِحِبْرٍ مُحْكَمْ فِي رَقٍ أَظُنُّهُ مِنْ جُلُودِ الْإِبِلِ This is his description. That he, This is his eyewitness account. He says, I have seen it as the majestic, mighty, glorious, large book so it's a it's document it's quite large right now you can imagine it's going to be large he says it's written in very clear lettering right the script is very clear very strong and bold with very firm ink so the ink they use mashallah lasted all of this time and it's written on what i would think would be the skins of camels now imagine skins of camel right maybe beaten and made very thin but that would be quite large right and uh, very large in size mashallah damascus they used to be very proud of this right they used to be very proud of this copy 
and Dam the people of Damascus would be very proud of this copy and it stayed there protected in the Jami al-Umawi al-Kabir until there's a fire that raged through the Jami al-Umawi al-Kabir in 1310 Hijri. Now it's 400 and what is it 442 or something so that is 132 years ago approximately. There was a massive fire there and unfortunately unfortunately Allah this Quran was burnt down, this Mus'haf was burnt down in that fire. Right? There's a number of other accounts, but I think that's enough uh, for today. What we will move on to, inshallah. Now you understand that uh, the way the Quran was compiled and finally the copies. And then, of course, people were now producing copies from these master copies in the different cities. And then the copies just proliferated. We're going to eventually discuss... Um, all the additions that have been added since then in terms of the numbering and the the dots and all of that inshallah in one of the subsequent let, uh, you know that is where we will be inshallah discussing this yep we will be inshallah discussing that in the coming days jazakallah khair uh, allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all and allah bless us through the quran wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah jazakallah khair for listening May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.